The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Well, I want to talk with you today about the setbacks in your life. Isn't that a great message? And, uh, you know, Nick, some of us here have had the privilege of meeting him. He's preaching the gospel when he's on his own and he has the stage. Uh, he, he gives the whole enchilada that we are sinners separated from God and Christ came to set us free from all struggles and all weaknesses. But as we learned last week when we studied why weakness, we saw that this world we're in is a glorious ruin, right? It's glorious because we are the crown, humans are the crown jewel of creation. We're created in God's image. And, and there's all these, these great, you know, glorious things about creation. And yet we're a ruin. We're fallen. There's sin. And so there's cancer. There's death. There's evil. And, uh, you know, as, as Jack would say, I was teaching him about fire ants this last week because we get these giant red fire ants in our yard that build these big mounds and you know I try to poison them all but they come back and and he said fire ants will they set me on fire I said, no they won't set you on fire but they will sting you because we live in a fallen world son and the reality is from from bee stings and fire ants and allergies to being born without arms and legs we all face in this life adversity and difficulty and as Nick said, it's, it's not from God into your life. It's from this evil world. But God works from that evil for good if you will surrender. And today I want to talk with you about the sweet spot of surrender. First, let me define for you what the sweet spot is in athletic terms, okay? We have a baseball bat up here that shows you this is the sweet spot, okay? I don't know a ton about baseball, but I know from a physics perspective that for a home run to happen... A whole bunch of things have to converge at the exact same time, right? The ball has to be going at a certain velocity. The batter has to be holding the bat a certain way. But the most important ingredient that makes or breaks a home run is the sweet spot of the bat. You know, if you, if you hit the, the bat on a different place, it's not going to be a good hit. In fact, they make training bats. We've got a picture of a training bat that shows you Here's the sweet spot. So, so when you're training, you can actually look at that thing and try to hit it right there. Sweet spot is a converging or an intersection of different factors that when they all come together, success happens. Uh, those of you who cook and bake, and I'm looking at Sue Stoddard right now who has made some pretty fine meals. Sorry about that, Sue, for embarrassing you, but you, you have to put the right ingredients together, right? And it's a, it's a sweet spot when you get all the ingredients. And if you leave one out, it's not going to happen, right? And sometimes even that final ingredient is salt or something that would be bitter on its own. Let me give you one more example. In your career, career counselors say, here's your sweet spot, right? There's stuff you love to do. There's stuff people would actually pay you to do. And then there's stuff that you're actually good at, which might not be what you love to do. When you can overlap all three of those, that's the sweet spot for your career, right? And if you take out one of those ingredients, you don't have a sweet spot. Well, it's the same with the trials in our lives. We live in this fallen world, but God's good hand is on our lives. And if we're following Christ, 
He's looking out for us. But the third ingredient that can make your, your setbacks and your difficulties become real opportunities and victories, the third ingredient is one that only you can bring to the table, and that is your surrender. Your outline puts it this way, in the hands of God, my deepest hurts and struggles become my most powerful victories. When? When you surrender. In this series, we've been uh, really studying this reality that as Americans, we tend to ignore our weaknesses. We tend to deny our difficulties. We don't like to talk about them. We don't like to think about them. But over and over in Scripture, God tells us to humble ourselves and be honest about our weaknesses, and that's where we grow spiritually. And that starts with your salvation. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that if you were to die on your way home today, that you would immediately go into the presence of God, you can know that today. Scripture says that we are saved not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but that Jesus went to the cross for us. Romans 5, 8, when we were sinners with our backs turned to God, God reached out to us. He went to the cross for our sin. And the moment that you admit, God, I'm a sinner, I have a life-defining weakness. I'm spiritually polluted and I need you to forgive me. I need you to restore me. Jesus, I need you to wash my sins away. The moment you confess that before God and ask Christ to be your savior, that's when you get adopted into God's family. That's when you know you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Well, it continues on after salvation. This is how we grow in Christ, is by not denying and ignoring our weaknesses, but by actually kind of embracing them and bringing them to God. Much the way in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people who were blind or lame or had other sicknesses, they would come to Jesus with their sickness and he would heal them. And that's how it is for you with the different weaknesses you have in your marriage, weaknesses even in your finance and in your career and in your relationships and in your health. All of these are things that can propel you closer to God. And you come to God and you say, God, I have this need. In fact, two weeks ago, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And we saw that in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, you know, first of all, acknowledge you have a heavenly father. You know, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, as I described a moment ago, you have a heavenly father who's providing for you and he's good. And you start every day by saying, my father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, you're good, you're big, you're in control. Things are gonna be okay because you're here. And Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. My life's not about my kingdom and my will. From that moment on, the Lord's prayer is a laundry list of weaknesses, right? God, give me today my daily bread. I, I am weak physically. Forgive me today. I, I'm weak spiritually. Every day I mess up spiritually. And Lord, as I forgive others, I have relationship weaknesses every day. I wrong people or people wrong me. And God, I need you every day. And Lord, lead me not into temptation. Father, I acknowledge I'm a child in this universe. I am vulnerable without you. I need you to protect me from the evil one and protect me from temptation. So we've seen why evil exists, why pain exists because of sin. We've seen that in this moment in history where Christ has come, but redemption isn't complete yet, we still live in the fallout. Remember that, the radioactive fallout of sin? 
So every day we go to God and we say, these are my weaknesses. We all have daily weaknesses. Well, today we're talking about a different kind of weakness, a weakness that I call a Gethsemane weakness. A Gethsemane weakness is a once-in-a-lifetime difficulty. It's your lowest of low. And all of us at some point in our lives will go through one or maybe two or three Gethsemane weaknesses. These are not just, oh, I had a bad day. This is losing a child when you were supposed to leave this earth before the child. This is cancer. This is divorce. This is all sorts of ongoing chronic pain, chronic illness. These are Gethsemane weaknesses, and and we all have them because we're in a fallen world in different ways and shapes and forms. And today, I want to talk with you about that kind of weakness in your life. The Apostle Paul had one of these Gethsemane weaknesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he calls it his thorn in the flesh. It was a daily chronic disabling pain. And Paul goes to God in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and three times he says, Lord, would you remove this thorn from me? And God's answer to him is essentially no. My grace is going to be sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove it from you, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to get you through it. And then God says this, because my power is made perfect in weakness. And we see from that moment on in the Apostle Paul's life, God did things through him because of his weakness that never would have happened without his weakness. God has a plan for your Gethsemanes. I mean, think about Nick Vujicic, which you saw on Oprah Winfrey there. I mean, how many of you, raise your hand if you can call Oprah up and get on her show. You know, God is doing through Nick things that you and I could never do. And there was this weakness, this difficulty, this really Gethsemane life-defining tragedy in his life. He has no arms and legs that could have ruined him, could have turned him into a, a bitter, bitter man. But when he added that third ingredient of surrender and put his life in God's hands, it became a sweet spot. And God used that difficulty and that adversity to become a great opportunity and to create huge victories for the kingdom and even in Nick's own life. So here's what we see in God's word today. Surrender your Gethsemane to Christ and he'll bring victory from your difficulties. Surrender it to him and he'll make a legacy out of your tragedies. We're all going to face these fastballs and these curveballs in life. In our text today, we see the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, facing the most difficult trial of his life. And we're going to see him at the lowest of lows, humanly. And here's what we see. Gethsemane forced him to answer this question. It's the same question you have to answer today. Gethsemane forces us to answer this question. Will I trust God's eternal plan more than my temporary feelings. As the old poem says, in this life you will have trouble. Into each life some rain must fall. You are going to feel pain in this life. You are going to go through difficult things. 
when that happens, are you going to trust your feelings? Or are you going to trust that God has an eternal plan? This is what Jesus was wrestling with in Gethsemane. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Passage where we find Jesus, who is God, crying. Not just crying, but collapsed on the ground in the cool of the night, face to the dirt, sobbing. And Jesus himself in the text says this, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Those are Christ's words. Why is God crying? Why is he overwhelmed with sorrow? Well, as we saw last week, it's because this world is so ruined. Things like the Boston Marathon bombing this last week remind us this world is not our home. This world is deeply broken. It is deeply infected with the cancer of sin. We need Jesus. We need his healing. We need his forgiveness. We need him to return and wipe sin off the face of the earth once and for all and make things right. So Jesus is weeping about that, but that's not all. He's weeping because he's in this agony of surrender. He knows if he surrenders, then when he goes to the cross, he's going to take on his back every pain and weakness and sin and consequence of your life and my life and the whole world. And it's an over Overwhelming weight. And Jesus, who is perfect, is still fully human. And he wrestles before God the Father in his Gethsemane. To, and he says, Lord, I, I don't want to go through this. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Let's read the text together in Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to find Jesus in the sweet spot of surrender. Starting in verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. If you look on a map, what you'll see is Gethsemane is outside the city walls. I think this is really important because Jerusalem right now, this Passover week, is like a city that's hosting the Super Bowl, right? Kind of there's a no room in the inn sort of scenario. I mean, the city is packed. There are people everywhere and it's, it's hustling and bustling. And what has just happened, the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, where Jesus has given the first communion to his disciples, he's identified that he's going to go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins. The disciples are confused. They're coming down from this huge adrenaline week. And now Jesus says he's going to die. And then he says, Judas is going to betray me. And then Judas storms out the door. Okay, all that just happened. And Jesus says, we got to get away to pray. They go outside the city wall. They walk on foot quite a ways up a mountain, find this garden on the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they get there, he says to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with them. So this is his inner circle. These are his closest friends. And he began to be sorrowful. And troubled. Then he said to them, verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. 
Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The cup was the judgment, the right penalty for all of our mistakes. Yet, not as I will, not my desire, not my plan, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed again. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. Do you get it? The judgment, the right penalty for sins will not be taken away. Someone has to drink it. And Jesus says, if there's no other way, unless I drink it, it's going to go on them, Lord. If there's no other way, then let your will be done. 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. It's been a big week for the disciples. We tend to be hard on them here. They've been through a lot this week. 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Father, if it's possible, I don't want to go through this trial. Nevertheless, not what I want. Father, you do your perfect plan. I trust in you. 45, then he returns to the disciples and says to them, are you still sleeping and resting? The hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And at that moment, Judas, with a a band of, of priests and soldiers, is marching in with clubs and swords and torches to arrest Jesus. Christ's Gethsemane was his deepest trial before the cross. But when he surrendered it, he added that ingredient of surrender, it became a sweet spot. And what did it lead to ultimately? Victory over sin, redemption for humanity, new life, resurrection, because Jesus surrendered in Gethsemane. And the same is true for you when you surrender. It will be painful. It will be agonizing. It will be grueling, but in God's good hands, your surrender through a trial will bring new life and resurrection and redemption, not because you're so powerful, but because your God is so powerful that not only can he create a beautiful universe out of nothing, but when that universe is infected with sin and when it is spoiled and rotten, he can recreate good out of evil beauty out of ashes. And that's what he wants to do in your life and through your life if you will surrender to him. Let's quickly move through Gethsemane. You know you're in Gethsemane when. I want to just give you three principles to help you identify what are these times in your life when you've been in a Gethsemane. First, when you're distressed, troubled, and overwhelmed with sorrow. This first word, distress, means to be heavy, full of heaviness. And in the Greek lexicon, it says this. This is the strongest of three Greek words for depression. Is that a relief maybe for some of you to know today that you don't have to pretend I'm so spiritual that I never get sad or have problems? That's actually not spiritual. It's really hypocritical. It's spiritual to say, God, I've got all sorts of problems. And if it wasn't for God in my life, I'd be a a total disaster. You think this is bad, you should see me without God. 
Gethsemane is when you're distressed, when you're overwhelmed with sorrow. Next, you know, you're, you're in a Gethsemane when you stumble and fall. What an incredible verse, 39. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. It's that place where emotion is so crippling that you physically fall down or you're physically affected by it. Have you ever been in Gethsemane? Next, you know you're in Gethsemane when you've stubbornly asked God for relief over and over in prayer. This is a good stubbornness, right? Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne. It's a good stubbornness that we keep going to our Heavenly Father with this bold confidence that He's good and He's loving and He wants the best and we keep going to Him saying, Father, I know you love me. This thing really hurts. Will you make it go away? And eventually you come to a place where you realize, okay, I have to trust that because my father loves me, there's a reason for this. Paul did the same thing. It's interesting that in Matthew 26, it says Jesus returned and prayed a third time. Second Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul has the thorn in the flesh, verse 8, he says, I prayed to the Lord three times. A number in scripture that symbolizes completeness, right? This was a, a complete, I kept going back to God. Theologians will probably argue, was it exactly three or is it symbolic? I have no idea. But either way, it means the same thing, okay? That you keep going back to God. And then finally, you get this answer from God. Maybe he's given you the answer today that he gave to Paul in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, where Paul says, Lord, please take this thorn away from me. Take this physical sickness, which Paul says is a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. God didn't send it. Satan sent it. And he goes to God and says, will you remove it? And after repeatedly, stubbornly praying God's reply to Paul and to many of you today, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to take you through it and I'm going to preserve you through it. My power is made perfect in weakness. You're going to do things through this weakness. I'm going to do things through this weakness in you that you could never do on your own. So surrender. Trust that I have a plan. You will have Gethsemanes in your life. And maybe right now you're thinking of some, a business setback, something that you poured your life into years and years and someone else steals it or runs off with it. A, a marriage setback. That, you know, the, if people knew the truth, you'd say, oh, my spouse is the thorn in my flesh, you know. That happens to people. We're going to hear a story about that at the conclusion. A physical sickness. The loss of a loved one. What have been your deepest, darkest Gethsemanes? And, and, and I know that those are tender places. And even now, you don't want to go there. But right now, what I'm saying is, I want to walk you through what Jesus does in Gethsemane. Will you identify that thing? Whether it was 20 years ago and it's still with you, or it just happened in the last two months, will you identify that Gethsemane so that you can bring it to God right now? reading a book about Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, in the 1970s, as a teenager, she 
was diving into the Chesapeake Bay and she broke her neck, paralyzed from the neck down. And much like Nick, who you saw, she has an international ministry that has touched literally millions of lives. And and there's a book that she and her husband just released about their relationship. You see, her husband, Ken, 31 years ago, asked her to marry him and she was already a quadriplegic. She was already in the wheelchair. And he knew going into it that it would be hard. But he didn't realize how hard. 48 hours into their honeymoon when he has to literally pick her up and take her to the bathroom and and things get dirty and don't go the way they're supposed to, he realizes, what have I done? What is my life going to be like? And for years, as he supported her and cared for her, and she's doing this hugely uh, powerful international ministry, he's growing bitter on the inside about his marriage. That was his Gethsemane. I don't know what yours is, but let's follow Jesus' example now in our Gethsemanes. First, Gethsemane surrender. It turns away from the comfort of people and circumstances. That's our natural. We want people to comfort us. Or we want circumstances to comfort us. A Gethsemane surrender is one that says, I'm going to stop looking to people and circumstances to make me feel better. And I'm going to run to the Heavenly Father. Just as Jesus went outside the city walls, when there were lots of people in the city who would have surrounded him and given him praise and told him everything was going to be okay, he ran away from them and to the Father you know, sometimes when you put your Gethsemane on other people, and, and we are to bear each other's burdens, but it's going to overwhelm them, and that, then that can discourage you. Only God can, can really bear your Gethsemane with you. That's why he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. So yes, we're here to walk with you through your Gethsemane, but I, I can't bear it. Your spouse can't bear it. Only God can bear it. Sometimes you'll hear people who've been through a Gethsemane and they'll say, well, you wouldn't understand because you haven't been through what I was through. And that is true. You know, what you've been through in your Gethsemane is a deep agony and pain that nobody else knows except for you and God. So let me say in love this, if you find yourself thinking that sometimes. Well, they they don't know what I actually have been through or feel. Can I say something in love? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that other people don't know what you've been through. Do you know why? Because your heavenly father knows what you've been through. So stop looking to other people to comfort you, to get you through. Start looking to your heavenly father. That's the first step if you want to follow Jesus through your Gethsemane. Next, Gethsemane surrender says, I trust your eternal plan more than my temporary feelings. This is not to diminish the importance of your temporary feelings. Like Jesus in the garden, they may literally drop you to your knees and face plant you in the dirt because the emotion and distress and depression is so strong. And yet you can choose like Jesus to say, Father, despite everything I'm feeling, though I'm crushed and perplexed and vexed, I'm going to trust 
in your eternal plan? Where today do you need to choose? You need to make that movement of the will to say, God, there's been difficulty in my life. There's been your hand in my life. But there's not been a sweet spot because it's missing the third ingredient of my surrender. To say, God, I'm going to trust your eternal plan more than any of my temporary feelings. You know, it's one of the worst things as a parent when you have to take a little one in to get a shot with a big needle, right? Or or sometimes even more severe operations. And as a loving parent, you have to hold that child, right? Knowing that while they're crying in agony and they're screaming, they're thinking, what is happening to me? Why are my parents in on this? You're holding them in love. And sometimes, you know, if if they're crying enough, it makes you cry, right? Because you don't want to see them go through that. But the loving thing is a parent, you have to hold them while they go through that. There's a passage in 2 Peter 3.8 that says, With the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. And I was thinking about that when it comes to our suffering and his eternal plan. You know, I don't expect to live a hundred years old. Most of us won't. A hundred is one-tenth of a thousand, right? So most of us are going to live less than that. Well, if a thousand years is as a day to God, so when we get in heaven, when we're in eternity, we're not limited by time anymore. Oh, there goes a thousand years. It was like 24 hours. Well, okay, forgive my math here, okay? If, If we live less than a tenth of a thousand years, then in eternity, our lives are are less than 2.4 hours, right? Probably like about two hours. And and think about your suffering and your agonizing and your Gethsemane like that, because that's the reality. It will be hard. It will be difficult. And it will be temporary. And as long as it seems right now, It will be over, and God has a plan. And so just like we come to God as those children in the universe, like we learned in our daily weakness, the Lord's Prayer, as children in the universe, we trust God. If you're letting me go through this, I trust, first of all, you're holding me. Second, you've got a reason. And third, it's temporary. It's going to end. And if you let me go through it, it was worth it. There was a reason for it. Third thing about Gethsemane surrender, it says this, God, even if it doesn't get better, even if it never ends in this life, I will be okay with that. Just accomplish your purpose. That's what Jesus says when he says, Father, please let this cup pass from me, but if it can't, Not my will, Thelema, desire, plan, purpose, but your desire, plan, and purpose be done in my life. This is the point that God has for so many of you today. Because as Americans, we tend to think, well, if I surrender, then it's going to go away. Or God, if you take it away, then I'll surrender, right? Or, you know, God's having me go through this thing because he just wants to teach me a lesson. Once I learn the lesson, it'll be over. 
doesn't always work that way in this fallen, radioactive, rocky flats world. You're going to have to go through hard things. True Gethsemane surrender says, God, even if it doesn't get better. Ken Tata, the husband who married that quadriplegic wife, finally got to the place where he, he surrendered that way to God and said, God, even though it's not going to get better, my wife is never going to get up and walk. I'm okay with it. And I'm trusting that you have a plan and you have a purpose for this. What happened after Jesus surrendered in Gethsemane? Well, he was spat upon, he was beaten, stripped of his clothes, flesh was torn off his back, crown of thorns was pressed into his scalp, a heavy, rough, slivery wooden cross was thrown onto his bloody back, and that was just the beginning. Temporary feelings in this life may not get better. And that's what Gethsemane surrender is all about. That, Lord, even if it doesn't get better, I trust that after the cross comes the resurrection. After the death comes the empty tomb. And after this life of suffering comes my eternity with you. So, Lord, whatever you call me to go through in this life, and whatever cross you allow me to bear in this life, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be a child in the universe and I'm going to surrender that you do know what's best for me. I'm going to stop resisting you and thrashing around and insisting that it be over and trust that you love me and you're good and you have a good plan. In his distress, Jesus surrendered to the Father's plan, crying out, not my will, but your will be done. Is there a past Gethsemane from years ago in your life where quietly you're still insisting my will, my way? Is there a present Gethsemane where like Jesus, you need to surrender to the Father's plan? Some of you have been wrestling with God, resisting him for years. Your life has been on pause. Once I get over this sickness, once my job comes together, once my spouse gets it together, once I recover from the way people wrong me, then life will go on. You know what? Some of those things are never going to happen in this life. And I know that's hard to hear. Some of those things are never, they're just never going to happen. And you're going to wait your whole life on pause if you think, I'll start living once I get over that. Today, add your surrender, and God, out of that tragedy, can create victory. Finally, we see this, and we'll get to unpack this in future weeks. When we surrender in Gethsemane, God sustains us through our weakness. Psalm 73 says, He holds you by your right hand. When your heart is grieved and embittered, when you're at your lowest of lows, he holds you by your right hand. Another psalm says he's near to the brokenhearted. He's with you in your Gethsemane. I love it in Luke chapter 22. It says an angel comes to be with Jesus in his Gethsemane. And we'll actually spend a, a week looking at that in the future. Did you know that God still has angels? 
He still helps you out when you're going through your Gethsemanes and your difficulties. And the same thing that God told the Apostle Paul is true for you. My grace will be sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So here's the question I wonder for you today. Is there a Gethsemane in your life where, like Jesus, today you need to surrender to the Father's plan? Let me say this. Whether you will surrender or not is going to make all the difference of your legacy and your life and your relationships. See, the, those greatest adversities in your life, when you surrender them, they become your greatest opportunities. But when you don't surrender them, then nothing good comes out of them. In fact, more bad happens from them. Remember Ken Tata, how for years he had that bitterness. He's kind of living in his wife's shadow. She's this big international figure. Everyone's always praising her. Meanwhile, at home, he's the one actually you know, brushing her teeth taking care of all her physical needs, and, and no one even says anything to him. And he carries this bitterness around, and finally he comes to a place in his life where he surrenders that to God. In fact, he has this middle name from his Japanese heritage that's a samurai name, and he realizes, you know, God created me to be a warrior, to carry this woman of God in ways that no one else could. And after he surrendered to God, he found this new identity and this reason to live and this battle to fight and this woman to rescue and his life came alive and their marriage came alive. I want to contrast that with a, a woman I heard from earlier this week who's in her 60s, who was faithful to her husband, physically anyway, for 40 years while they raised their children in a Christian home. But somewhere early in the marriage, their marriage became a Gethsemane to her. She decided, my husband isn't meeting my needs emotionally. I could have done better than him. And even though he always provided a roof over her head and food for her and did his best to love their kids and to be a good husband, year after year, she let this bitterness grow. Instead of surrendering that Gethsemane to God, God, I'm not happy with the person I committed to spend my life with, but I'm going to surrender to you that your plan is better than my temporary feelings. She never did that. And over the years, the bitterness grew. And now the kids have moved out and they're having kids. And now she's, she's left her husband and her kids are in turmoil and her whole family's in turmoil and she's in depression and she's off on her own. And it goes back to this Gethsemane that she never surrendered. Do you see the contrast between her with a husband who's able-bodied and doing his best and a spouse who's in a wheelchair where they're deeply in love? The difference is surrender in your Gethsemane. Let me tell you one story of Johnny Eric Sintata's surrender and then we'll pray together. On top of being in a wheelchair, on top of being a quadriplegic, on top of all the pain that comes with that, um, Johnny Erickson Tata recently had breast cancer. And there's a story of her having her chemotherapy treatments. And when she got chemotherapy, she got pneumonia, which is the way that a lot of quadriplegics die because they can't cough it out like we do because of their paralysis. 
And, and she tells the story of a time where after her chemotherapy, she and her husband get in their van. She's in her wheelchair. And she starts to sing the hymn, I Surrender All. And when you picture her sitting there paralyzed with breast cancer, with pneumonia, belting out with the little bit of strength that she had, all to Jesus, I surrender. When you picture her there, then whatever your Gethsemane that I cannot understand or feel, surely today you can follow Jesus' example. And you can say, Father, even if it never ends, I trust you, not my will, Yours be done. Would you bow your head and pray that with me now, Father? Lord, all across this room, you see deep hurts in our lives, deep wounds, serious pain, pains that truly no other person can really grasp, but you can. Lord, we come to you as a loving Savior who not only understands our pain, but who voluntarily put it on your back and carried it. The literal weight of the world's sins. So Lord, we bring you each of our Gethsemanes right now and some in here just need to even name those some that happened decades ago and we've been holding on to them. Some that have happened recently. And in our hearts, as a movement of our will, we say today, Lord, I surrender all. Even that, I give it to you. I'm going to stop trusting my feelings as loud as they are. And I'm going to start trusting you have an eternal plan. In fact, I'd invite you if you're comfortable to even just, just place your hands out in front of you that, that you're saying, God, I, you know, I, I don't want to carry this. I don't want to hold this thing anymore. Just like the, the lame and the lepers came to you for healing, Lord, I'm bringing this thing to you. In my hands, all it does is create more turmoil and hurt and pain. But I believe that in your hands, you, you could actually work a miracle out of it. And it might not feel good, and it might not be easy, but I, I just want to trust you. Father, today, together, we pray not my will, yours be done. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstone.com prescottcornerstone.com